You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. Is this time our time, an axial period in human history? When, one way or the other, for better or worse, the future of humankind will be determined? I think it may be. I know that almost every generation thinks itself special. However, this time, our time, it may be true. I feel privileged to be living now when science is making astounding progress, answering foundational questions that were once sheer speculation. I marvel how much, how quickly humanity has learned. What will science achieve in another hundred years, a thousand years, a million years? Colonize the cosmos, is that our destiny? But will humanity have that future? What are the risks we don't make it? We rightly worry about nuclear weapons, climate change, and dangers of artificial intelligence. Here's what interests me. As science continues to progress, what happens to foundational questions, the mysteries of existence and human sentience? For the future of humanity, what will science bring? I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey to find out. To foresee the future of humanity through the lens of science, I seek scientists and philosophers of science who question current belief, who challenge conventional wisdom. That's why I begin in Banff in the Canadian Rocky Mountains at a biennial conference of the Foundational Questions Institute, FQXI, where physicists and philosophers gather to discuss the deepest, most fundamental issues in science. FQXI is no ordinary scientific society. Here are polymaths and paradigm shifters. I speak with the scientific director and co-founder of FQXI, a science visionary and theoretical cosmologist, Max Tegmark. Max, we're here at FQXI conference, uh, your fifth, my fourth, I'll never catch up to you. And, and we have a diversity of topics. We, we're, our core is, is, is uh, quantum physics, uh, quantum cosmology, but we're expanding. We're talking about consciousness, the difference between life and not life, uh, uh, social implications. Uh, as you see science from your perspective in terms of humanity's future, what are the kinds of questions we should be asking? We should be asking what ultimately we want our future to be like because you know, 13.8 billion years into our universe, it's woken up, it has these conscious entities, and, which is wonderful, and, and we managed to understand more and more about how our world works, which has in turn given us great power through technology. And I'm optimistic that we can use this technology to create a really awesome future if we can win this race between the growing power of the tech and the wisdom with which we manage it. In the past, we've managed to have the wisdom keep up basically with trial and error. You know, we invented fire, messed up a few times, so we invented the fire extinguisher. <laughs> but with more powerful technology like nuclear weapons, synthetic biology, and future very advanced artificial intelligence, 
we don't want to learn from mistakes. We want to get it right the first time because it might be the only time we have. So I think it's very much the responsibility of us scientists to both engage with the public and talk more about what sort of future we want and then figure out what the pitfalls are and help our fellow humans figure out how to navigate around them. What are the issues with AI and how are you addressing them? So I think artificial intelligence will be the most powerful technology ever. First, science helped us replace our muscle power by machines that could lift heavier things and move faster. And now, if AI succeeds, we're going to have machines that can also replace all our mental efforts and ultimately do everything we humans can and even better. Of course, everything I love about society is the product of intelligence. So if we can amplify our own intelligence with machine intelligence, there's a great potential for good. But needless to say, there's also a lot of things that, that could go wrong. We control this planet now, not because we're stronger than tigers or have sharper claws, but because we're smarter than them. You know, if we create machines that are smarter than us, it's not, not guaranteed that we can stay in control. In the shorter term, there's also all these questions, if we replace ourselves on the job market, well, how will we make sure that, that everybody still has enough resources to, to live a reasonable life, rather than having some sort of horrible income inequality? How do we ensure that people, even if we can distribute the wealth from the machines around, that people can find meaning and purpose in their lives? I think we've never had a technology that poses more basic questions about what we want it to mean to be human. We've had a poor history, uh, speaking as a member of the human race, in controlling technologies. In, in we could say things shouldn't be done, whether it's gen genetic engineering or nuclear weapons, and that some groups of, human of, of humans do it, and then others feel compelled to, to at least not, them, not let them take over. And that creates a, an arms race in all of these categories. We're seeing the beginnings of it with AI, with right. ro robots that can kill people that are under control now. Yeah. Uh, so w w how can you uh, uh, assure that even though you have the right ideas, it's not a majority vote. You have to get almost everybody on board uh, because if there are outliers with exceptions, that messes up the whole, the whole strategy. Yeah, there's something we need to do first, namely identify what are the really tough questions we need to answer and then do research you know, to answer them. Uh, there's an encouraging precedent from biotech where in the 70s people were like, hey, wait a minute, maybe we should think a little bit about hard questions before we start messing with the human genome. And a lot of thought went into this and a lot of good guidelines came out and they have not had any terrible disasters. Mm since. Uh, right now is precisely the time when we need to start thinking about this in AI because we're beginning to get self-driving cars on the street and a lot of jobs are automating away and so we should start researching it now, you know, not the night before we need it. To, to look out a hundred years, a thousand years uh, and to force yourself to, a to answer unanswerable questions, you know, 50 years in the future everything is like magic. But, but if you had to go out there to, to that period of time to envision what that world could look like, what would you say? I'm not so interested in speculating about how fast this is going to happen. I'm much more interested in, in actually getting to work and trying to answer some of these tough questions that we're going to need whenever it happens because if you want to win this wisdom race again and have wisdom keep pace with the power of technology and there's a huge funding in just making AI more powerful and no funding at all <laughs> for, make, for developing the wisdom, right? Then 
Rather what, than trying to slow down the juggernaut, instead let's invest in, in research. What are the tough questions? Just give For me example, if you uh, create a um, very advanced artificial intelligence system, how do you ensure that it's actually going to do what you want? How do you make machines learn what we humans want? Uh, our children learn a lot from observing our behavior, <coughs> but we don't quite know how they do them. How can you guarantee that as machines get smarter, they'll still want the same things? And what do we want anyway? Whose values should they have? This isn't just for the nerds to study. This is for everybody to discuss. Max worries about the unintended consequences of scientific progress, that given the exponential growth in artificial intelligence, AI, soon to far surpass human intelligence, if something goes wrong, humanity may not get a second chance. Should we worry? Does super AI loom over humanity as these mountains loom over us? Not everyone calls AI an existential threat, nor overly frets about the future of science. I speak with an expert on quantum computing and information, a physicist trained in philosophy, a unique combination, Seth Lloyd. Seth, we like talking about these very abstract topics of existence at uh, our FQXI conference, where we are here in Banff. If we look for forward into the future, uh, not just 10 years or 50 years, but 100 years or 1,000 years, what could be the importance and the meaning of what we're doing today in this seemingly abstract intellectual exercise? <laughs> well, I think we'll find in the future that most of it was just a bunch of BS. <laughs> but uh, uh, some of it will not be. And the some of it that is not will be very important. And one of the most remarkable things that can happen to science is it becomes engineering. Right? I mean, if you look at quantum mechanics, you know, quantum mechanics of electrons and matter became the understanding of semiconductors, which became the creation of semiconductor amplifiers, of digital computers, which gave rise to a whole host of things that we would never, ever have believed could have happened 50 years your, ago. Your smartphone, which is more powerful than a Cray computer in the 1970s. So. Yes, and in fact, <laughs> capable of... of, of even bigger stupidity. Yeah. Remember, one of the main things about artificial intelligence is it leads to real stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that we're going to see um, things that we would never thought have an application from this kind of pure science that we're doing right now might actually have actual engineering applications in the future. And we don't know what those are going to be, but they're likely to transform the way that we live as human beings. Can you imagine what those could be? I mean, we're talking about uh, cyborgs and integration with ro robots and, and non-biological intelligences that are merged with ourselves. I mean, what is there and are we disturbing what it means to be human? Yeah, well, I, I can't predict the things I have no notion about. But some things that you can extrapolate about are, you know, as um, our computers and smartphones become more powerful and as we get more sophisticated in programming them, using, for example, machine learning techniques, then they're going to behave in ways that are much more human. I mean, they already are behaving ways that are very human. I think one of the most human things a computer can do is really mess with your brain in a truly unexpected fashion. And computers are doing more and more of that. I think it's, it's quite likely that... Um, 
know, there's a long debate about whether machines can be intelligent, whether they can be conscious. I actually think this debate is in some sense irrelevant because what's going likely to happen is that as they become more smart, better learning of what's going on with us, better interacting with us, we will simply treat them as conscious beings. You know, it's not once somebody says, hey, don't turn off my smartphone. It's got some thinking and dreaming to do. You know, at that point, it doesn't matter whether it's conscious or not. We're treating them as conscious. And, and, and what would be the impact on, uh, uh, on humanity if, when that happens? Oh, well, we'll have a new friend. <laughs> Is that good or bad? Um, it could be good. It could be bad. Yeah. And one of the actually, uh, there's a, a current bunch of loose talk from people like uh, Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk is that computers are going to take over the world and artificial, malign artificial intelligence will destroy humanity. I, I think this is just silly. First of all, we're way away from that right now. And rather, rather simple precautions will prevent it from happening. What about the, the, the sense of, uh, of, of human existence in the great cosmos? So will we get to a point where we really understand more than we do now? Or, or will the awe and mystery continue to get deeper? Human beings have not changed a lot in the last 100,000 years from their genetic makeup and the way we're thinking about things. I don't think things are going to change that much. And actually, in some sense, you know, technology just provides distractions. It's not, not clear that someone who walks around with their phone like this is leading a more spiritual existence than someone who walks around taking in the beautiful water, the sun, the mountains. And in fact, I think quite the opposite. Seth sees the human future not unlike the human present, but with our species adapting to the ubiquity of robots, super smart and apparently conscious. But won't there be a difference between, say, a super smart GPS and an apparently conscious humanoid? How many such humanoids will there be? Will every human own a few? Will humanoids demand their rights, resist abuse, organize? Can we comprehend the psychological and social impact? Encompassed by these forests and rivers, all seems well with the world. But I fear it is not so. I fear the struggles to come. But there's more to the future than survival. In the long future, will the profound questions of existence still be pursued? What will be the big questions of our distant progeny? I ache to know the big questions of generations to come. I speak with the Associate Scientific Director of FQXI, cosmologist Anthony Aguirre. Anthony, it's great to be here with you again. This is our fourth conference together for mm -hmm. FQXI. We've dealt with multiverse and cosmology, nature of time, nature of information now, uh, nature of the observer versus in events in, in quantum physics. If you integrate all this together from uh, the FQXI viewpoint, how does this impact the, the understanding that humanity has for science and the importance of science as we look to the future? What, what is the significance of what we're doing? One of the things I love about you know, FQX and, and being part of it is that people are thinking on such a big scale. And when you think about society and sort of where we are as humans and where we are in our solar system and in the universe and in the history of the universe, it's an amazing thing that the universe has gone on for this 13.8 billion years. And a lot of it, you know, at some level unobserved or at least unobserved by things that enjoy the sort of consciousness and appreciation and who get to think about it like we do at FQX. And the question is, is that a, a, a blip in the radar? Are we going to sort of 
have this glorious time for a little while and then kill each other <laughs> off and, and and that's it and the universe goes back to sleep for another billions and billions of years or you know is this the great awakening that's going to go on and sort of fill up billions of light years with sentient beings getting to do all this awesome stuff it's about not just who we are now but who are we going to become what are our descendants are they going to be us are they going to be super intelligent ais you know what are they going to be and what can we sort of do about that now by understanding you know what is an observer what is conscious what does it matter and and those sorts of questions that are part and parcel of what fqx likes to think about so FQXI foundational questions, when you deal with time, information, multiverse, observers, uh, why are those considered foundational questions? You know, foundational is a, is a sort of word we've given to the questions we think are really cool and interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's the secret. That's the dirty secret of FQX. Um, but, you know, there, there, I think at some level things that have to do with, with the, the sort of big questions, the big nature of reality the the hard problems so it's hard to say exactly what makes something foundational and, and fqxy but you sort of know it when we see it when you're like yeah that's really cool and that's whoa that's confusing yeah. you know that's the kind of question one one way of defining it in in a funny way is that uh, we, we talk about the things that you can't get a normal science grant for <laughs> that is certainly the that is certainly one way to define it by exclusion but that covers a lot of things right. and it, and it's tricky to find the ground that is still science and still rigorous and still you know you can talk about it with real scientific right. methodology um, and yet is far enough out sort of on the edge of of what people can think about that it's hard to get conventional funding and, and you have a core way of thinking which is generally physics yeah. which underlies this approach there there are other ways of knowing in the world you know arts and humanities and right. biological but the core of this is physics which is one view of the world to view these kinds of questions that's right yeah. we are the cosmos self-aware and self-reflective a brief coalescing of the scattered dust of dying stars generating somehow conscious cognition the cosmos comprehending itself. To me, for human consciousness to come about after almost 14 billion years of cosmic history and then to self-extinguish defies common sense, if not scientific logic. I cannot escape the unfashionable sense that meaning and purpose is about in the cosmos, that human beings are somehow central. That's why the future, to me, is not so much about amazing gadgets, however magical they may seem, but more about foundational questions, how they will endure and change, or perhaps remain the same. What's the real value of foundational questions? Can ultimate answers be found? I push to the far future. I speak with a visionary physicist who connects consciousness with what the universe is about, Paul Davies. Paul, we're at the FQXI conference. Normally we deal with very fundamental things in physics and cosmology, time, information, multiverse. Uh, this time we're 
branching out a little bit. We're talking about science and society, what the future is. How do you see the relationship between fundamental questions in physics and cosmology and even consciousness uh, with uh, the, the, the real world of what humanity is becoming and will be coming and, and, and take a long time horizon, you know, not just a few decades, but a hundred years, a thousand years, a million years? Uh, people like me are interested in these foundational questions in, in science. Uh, and you, you might say, well, why does society pay for this? And I've been quoting John Wheeler a lot. I can remember him once saying to me, I don't know why society is prepared to support people like us <laughs> who investigate these uh, deep uh, issues. But so long as they do, we've got to hang in there uh, and get these results. And so uh, it, it is amazing, but in my view, important, uh, that society does allocate some small fraction of resources to addressing these really fundamental questions because I place them on the same footing as, uh, as religious questions uh, and they overlap a lot. Uh, you might say, well, you know, why uh, does society allocate all these resources for build churches and temples and so on? They, what does that do for the GDP? You know, isn't this just using time, valuable time and resources uh, to something that's completely irrelevant to the economy? But nevertheless, it fulfills a human need to try to understand uh, what their place is in the great scheme of things and to look beyond and uh, to, to try to have some appreciation of a reality that is beyond the, just the, the, the daily round. And, these deep questions in science, I think uh, we do them for the same reasons. We'd like to know how the universe is put together and what our place is in that. And I'm, I'm sure that quest will continue because we haven't got there yet. We haven't solved all the problems. We solve one problem and another uh, pops up. Uh, during my career, we've made enormous progress and uh, it's easy to in enumerate the the sort of things that have been discovered and just in the last year, gravitational waves, the Higgs boson, these well-known discoveries. But we, we go on asking uh, more and more questions. And will we still be doing this in a thousand years, 10,000 years? Uh, I, I think that there is a problem that troubles me. And one is that um, if every time we answer a question, another one just pops up to replace it, there will probably come a time when society will think, well, these scientists, uh, you know, it's a bottomless pit, uh, and they're never going to sort of finally get there and give us this ultimate theory of everything. On the other hand, if they do get there and we have an ultimate theory of everything, then the, the, the job is over. And so there has been a golden age. Uh, Feynman commented on this, that uh, we, we've had these many, many discoveries which have been uh, changed our worldview, but also changed society and has led to technological innovations. We can't go on piling up those discoveries at the same pace forever and ever. It's going to tail off at some stage. And I don't know when. And you say a thousand years in the future. I don't know whether by, by then we'll have run out of steam or run out of problems or answered all the problems. Uh, but probably this thing we call science will be replaced by something a bit different, a different, different mode of thought. Uh, and, and part of that is surely that we're going to be accompanied in this quest by what some people call artificial intelligence. I think we lack the, the term to describe designed uh, intellectual systems. And w at that final time, that asymptote of, of knowledge and science, uh, will we feel confident that we've described all the fundamental issues of why the universe exists and why is there anything at all or where the laws of physics come from or 
What's the nature of our own consciousness? Yeah, there'll be different uh, criteria. Different people will have different uh, levels of satisfaction. There will always be philosophers uh, that are unsatisfied. <laughs> that's right. Who will pull apart uh, our wonderful theories and explanations and say, well, this wasn't defined and that doesn't mean anything and, and so on. So I suspect there will always be people that will extol the mystery. And so do you think there will ultimate, there is an ultimate mystery? I've written with, um, over the years with great confidence that uh, in principle we could come to understand everything about existence. But I have to say that probably in the last 10 years I have come around to think that, that that is an unachievable goal, probably even in principle, that there, there will always be uh, somehow a, a mystery at the end of the universe. Science will determine the future in two big ways. The first is via advanced technology, especially artificial intelligence and genetic engineering changing human society and perhaps altering the human species. Utopian benefits and doomsday risks. The second way is via foundational questions. Time and space, energy and matter, universe and multiple universes, brain-mind consciousness. Will these questions become, over time, more central to humanity? I suspect so. Is the human species, perhaps with other sentient creatures, if such exist, the universe waking up and becoming aware of itself? A nice metaphor, but is it more? I am amazed how much we've learned in such a short sliver of cosmic time. Amidst almost 14 billion years of cosmic history, only a few thousand years of human history, only a few hundred years of real science, and only about a century of modern science. Humanity penetrates the foundations of cosmos and consciousness. Is there deep meaning and profound purpose in our stunning and sudden understanding? That's the question. That's the probe to get closer to truth. To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and meaning, visit our website, closertotruth.com.